trans, it's human right. And we need to think of it in that regard. And so, yes, it's as important as fire, police, and EMT. Transportation is the great economic equalizer for people. And if we believe that, if we believe it's a way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and get a hold of climate change, if we believe that we're providing an essential service to frontline workers, then we need to treat it that way. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged In-Depth. Today, coming to you live from the APTA Transform Trade Show with the president of New York City Transit, the largest transit system in America, with Rich David. Rich, thank you so much for being our guest today. Paul, thank you for having me. I knew I made it when you invited me to be on the podcast, so thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So tell us about what in the world's happening in New York City right now with transit. Well, there's a lot of good things happening, uh, and I'm really proud of the team. So I joined five months ago. I've been president now for five months. Uh, Frankly, I found a lot of good things were happening. Um, and, you know, COVID or some fiscal issues, maybe some leadership issues, uh, suppress some of that. So we're trying to bring that back to the fore. So what's happening? Um, we're looking at employee availability to make sure that folks are coming to work to get, you know, the work done. Looking at predictive maintenance. Um, I think that's a place where, you know, our industry could do a lot better job of. And we've got some interesting things we're working on on the bus side. Um, you know, but obviously the organization, the people are emerging out of COVID, too. New York City Transit lost 176 workers. Um, extraordinary, right? And it was a tra- it's a tra- it was a traumatic event, right, for all of us. But for the transit family in New York, it was particularly acute. Um, but the flip side is, you know, I, I say, look, I think I have the best job in the industry. We, we, we move New York. If, if we're not working, the city's not working. And for the 46,000 men and women, you know, New York City Transit, who move, you know, now five and a half million, close to six million people a day, it's a it's a pretty extraordinary feat. So. So tell us about um, the modes of transit that you operate and then the larger New York MTA so people get a scope of what, what's happening. Uh, yeah, so MTA, uh, Metropolitan Transit Authority, is um, you know is really five sort of operating units. Uh, the two uh, railroads, Long Island Railroad, Richard North, uh, capital construction and development is its own entity, although we are their largest client, but they are their own entity. And then Bridges and Tunnels, which is... While the smallest uh, unit in terms of people generates the most revenue, so we like those uh, guys yeah, a lot. Yeah. And then there's transit. So transit is bus, okay. um, which we have uh, about 6,000 buses in our fleet. Subways, we know we have 472 subway stations, the most subway stations of any system in the world, by the way. Wow. Um, and then paratransit. Uh, we move about 28,000 customers per day on paratransit. So all told, you know, we're about 6 million customers, a little less than that now. Uh, pre-pandemic, we were 8 million. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, the largest system in North America. Right. That's amazing. And so your job is over bus and? Subway and paratransit. Bus, subway, and paratransit. That's right. So let's walk through each of them one by one, starting sure. with paratransit. Yeah. That's where my heart is. Yeah, yeah. It's helping people with disabilities. Tell me about what's happening now with paratransit. Yeah. So we move about 28,000 customers. The ridership, you know, post-COVID is coming back uh, more swiftly on our accessor ride, on our paratransit service. Then subway or bus, uh, we're hovering at almost 90% now. Um, That's great. You know, we are doing a couple of things at Paratransit. One, it's very much we see it as a supply and demand uh, focus. And the demand is, as I said, growing. The supply has been a challenge, right? So drivers, whether they be cab drivers or broker, you know, broker services or direct services, we definitely saw a dip during COVID uh, around that. So we're trying to find creative ways to get more drivers into our system. We're working with our um, you know, not only our contractor or our vendors to bring in more drivers, but also to other ways, 
you know, is there an opportunity for the Taxi Limousine Commission for yeah. to supplement? Right. Um, you know, there's been some kerfuffle in New York about congestion pricing, which is coming, and folks have, you know, suggested that that could impact taxi jo uh, jobs, for example. I tell you, we've got a lot of opportunity in paratransit to maybe bring those folks for work. Um, and then, you know, we just announced under Chris Pangolinian's leadership, who's our, our VP for paratransit, last week that we're actually, you know, the, the, AD, or the FTA, um, the FTA's requirement to pick someone up is within 30 minutes, right? Uh, that's, the, that's the minimum state. We're going to move to 20 minutes. Like, we really want to, I think LA does that too, but we really want to lead the nation when it comes to providing better paratransit services. We've done eHail, we've piloted eHail, which is basically, you know, on-demand paratransit. Um, I do say I think the industry we have all gotten away with providing okay paratransit services, right? And I think we need to strive to do better. So I think technology can be unlocked. And I think looking at doing more than the minimum standards of FTA is where we're headed. That's great. All right, let's switch to bus. Yes. What's happening in bus right now? Again, a lot. I mean, we call them is the equity of engine, right? or the engine of equity, I should say, in New go. York, right? Yeah. And uh, we, we carry about 1.5 million people today. And, um, and you just recently hit like 70%, is that right, on bus? Yeah, so we're about 70%. That's awesome. Uh, so we're really excited. Uh, we've been doing bus redesigns, right? So I think this is a popular notion that other yes. systems are doing. We're doing it too. We just launched in June a complete redesign of the Bronx uh, network, eliminated 375 stops, speeding up. And the statistics are showing across the borough, we're almost at 8% uh, faster speeds for bus, which obviously, as you know, means less wait times and shorter trip times from our customers. Yeah. And that's what we're hearing from our customers, by the way. We are doing, we do a biannual deep dive survey, but we also do, when I started, I wanted a, a monthly survey, a pulse survey to understand what our customers are telling us. And our bus customers are telling us they want faster uh, speeds, they want, you know, wait, wait times that are short and, and more efficient service. So the redesigns are helping that. So Bronx was launched in June. We're currently redesigning um, Queens and then Brooklyn coming soon. I had a sneak peek of it uh, just last week and I think we'll be launching an initial draft of the Brooklyn redesign probably at the end of November, beginning of December, so stay tuned. Okay, and where are we at on Subway now? So Subway, um, you know, a lot of, so again, we're focused very much on a few things in Subway. Um, what, first of all, we can control. So we're looking at cleanliness and really thinking about the environment of the station and our cars. You know, we have um, a number of car fleets, uh, you know, a number of classifications. Like this summer, we focused on HVAC, as you would expect. Happy to report we had an amazing season there. Um, Crime has been an issue, right? And yeah. that's, you know, an issue in, in, in oh, a lot yeah, of cities. It's making national news some of those it days. It is, it is. And so crime, emotionally disturbed individuals, so mental, you know, mental illness and homelessness. Yeah. And uh, those are the three top issues that our subway customers are saying. And so we're working with NYPD, Mayor Adams, and this, you know, really takes a village, right? We're a transportation system. You know, we're not mental health experts. We're not addiction experts. Right. We're not homeless experts. So working with the city, we've been very much focused on helping, you know, the most vulnerable New Yorkers get the services that they're entitled to or require. And then for those who would do bad in our system, criminals, you know, working with the police to lock them up and, and you know, throw the book at them. What's happening with um, fair collection and fair jumping, people jumping over the turnstile, all that stuff? Yeah, no, it's, it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. You know, we estimate that uh, almost 30% of our bus customers are not paying right now. Wow. And somewhere between 10 and 15% of subway customers. So that's really affecting your revenues. It's it's affecting our revenues, also affecting our ridership because we report paid ridership. We don't oh, report unpaid okay. ridership. Oh, yeah. So that makes that's sense. why our you know, ridership, I think, is better than five and a half million. It's closer to six. Uh, a couple of things. I think on bus, you know, we stopped collecting fares during COVID for a six or eight month period. Right. People get used to that. 
So we're trying to re-educate folks on you know, where their dollars go and why. We're also asking our bus operators not to get into confrontation with folks um, about that. I mean, that's another issue. We're trying to protect our people. So we have fair enforcement, uh, both uh, officers and what we call our Eagle team out, um, who are mostly retired uh, police officers who are out enforcing fares on bus. On the subway side, what we have found is, um, you know, there are a number of sort of scams out there. A swiper might break our fare vetting machine and then stand there and charge people $2 to swipe them in, for example. The cost of the fare is two seventy-five. We have these emergency gates that people can use that are in, um, that are in, um, you know, that are in, mo- uh, you know, wheelchairs or mobility devices. Um, but people sneak behind, you know, sneak behind them. So we have some unarmed guards that we've been using to, to crack down on that. That's actually worked really well. But again, it's not going to be one, you know, one approach. Jana Lieber, who's the chair and CEO of all of MTA, yes. convened a blue ribbon panel of experts uh, in the city a few months ago to look at this overall fare evasion question, not only in transit, but on toll collection and the railroads. They're going to be coming out with their report, I think, next month. Okay. As I understand, it's going to focus on education, um, enforcement, uh, and the station environment uh, as a way for us to continue to raise fares. But no, admittedly, it's an issue, and but we're working hard on it. I want to talk about congestion charging in just a minute. Sure. But before we get into that, I was going to ask you another question about what's happening in the subway. Have fares stayed the same? I mean, are you anticipating a fare increase? Who handles all that? How is all that controlled? Yeah, yeah. So, so we haven't had a fare increase in, I think, four years, uh, thought, thanks yeah. to you know, the previous governor and then Governor Hochul last year came in with some additional uh, operating assistance. Um, at this point, we're developing our budget for 2023 and beyond. Um, I mean, at some point, I, I assume a fare increase is going to happen, right? That's just the nature of the business. Yeah. But we also have to make sure we're keeping fares as low as possible, obviously. Right. Um, the city has a program called Fair Fares, and so um, and, and so if you you can qualify for a significantly reduced fare if uh, you know if you if you are below a certain income threshold, yeah. your whole household. And so uh, we're encouraging. We think there are about eight hundred thousand New Yorkers that qualify for that. Only two hundred thousand are enrolled, and so we're trying to get the word out that that program exists. I was at a station West Fourth Street last week greeting customers with my senior management team. And the Fair Fares group was there from the city oh, I with saw us. That in the media, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm out usually twice a month uh, at, by the way, the worst performing stations, the ones that our customers okay. say they like the least. Yeah. So we can get out and find out why, right? That's so right. if I go to the best stations, like who cares? Like right. I'm not who cares, but right. you know, it's like you're not going to learn much. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to pat in the back. I want to know where we can do better. Uh, switching back just a second on on enforcement of fares yeah. and law. Do you have your own police department, or are you using? How does that work? So, his, so the answer is no. So okay. the subways and buses are the responsibility of New York uh, PD. And so, so this happened in the 1990s, I think, when uh, Rudy Giuliani was mayor. Bill Bratton was the police commissioner oh, yeah. for New York. Guys are and, famous. and the transit uh, police that were, uh, you know, transit employees right. were uh, merged into uh, NYPD. Okay. Okay. So there is a dedicated group, uh, about 2,000 officers. Yeah. They report to the commissioner uh, for the city and the mayor. But we work with them closely. Yeah, wow, it's it's it's. But with 472 stations yeah, and yeah. you know thousands of bus stops, yeah. I think 15,000 bus stops. We run 24/7, as you know, which is also unique about New York. Yeah, um, getting work done and capital work is 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 constrained. I've worked or consulted for other systems that, um, you know, we were closed four or five hours a night. You right. can get work done. New right. York, no. Yeah, that's right. Round the clock. Now, how about? I know that you don't do a ton of politics up there. You, you got your your CEO that does all that stuff. 
But tell us about the governing structure of MTA. Sure. A lot of times people, you know, they're getting that, I think, only a partial picture in the media. They're yeah. not sure. Is Mayor Adams in charge? Yeah. Or is the governor in charge? Yeah. What's happening here? So, both in charge? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So the MTA board uh, has mayoral appointees and gubernatorial appointees. But they're kind of in charge. But the governor ultimately owns MTA. Okay. Um, she has more votes than, um, than the mayor. That said, it has to be collaborative, right? Because yeah. as mentioned, whether it's, you know, the policing issues or uh, the homelessness issues, like those are city functions and responsibilities, and we work closely together in that regard. Uh, the relationship, I have to say, between the mayor and the governor has been great. Um, I came in in May, so this is the only uh, duality of power I've seen. Uh, as, yeah. you know, there, I think there have been other challenges in the past, but uh, uh, Governor Hochul and, and Mayor Adams have worked closely. They put out a subway safety plan last year to collaborate on improving safety. Um, so, no, it's, it's been, um, you know, I'd say the politics have been actually, you know, people get that we're important to the city. Yeah. And so it's not explaining to elected officials the importance of transit or MTA. I mean, they get it intuitively. Um, it's explaining what we're doing, you know, what we're doing to drive down our costs. But look, with 70 percent of our ridership back and we had one of the best fare box recovery ratios of any transit system in America, that's going to take a big bite out of your budget. So we have a fiscal cliff coming when the COVID money runs out from the federal right. government. It's a big challenge. Well, let's yes. talk about what's sure. going to come next then. Yeah. So obviously, then the question is, how are we going to make up that? Because yeah. I don't think Congress is going to keep passing, especially yeah. if we have a party shift in the yeah. next election, tons of money for transit. So what are you looking to do? Yeah, that's yeah, a good question. I mean, I think first is really articulating the value of public transportation and what it means. And as I said, in the city of New York, that's not too hard to articulate, right? So right. We move the, the city. We move the city. Yeah. And, and it's the fastest and most convenient way to get around. If you believe that climate change is the existential crisis of our time, I believe that, by the way, um, and you're not investing in public transportation, then you're a hypocrite, right? And so I think for legislators, and you know, we're fortunate, I think, in New York to have folks who do believe that and understand that. And I think lastly, Jano, uh, the CEO and chairman, has said often, which I completely agree with, you know, we need to rethink, I think, as an industry, how we fund trans transit. You know, where is as important as fire, police, EMTs. We're an essential service. Totally essential service. We saw that in COVID when in yeah. New York we were moving hundreds of thousands of those folks to work or hospital workers, you know, frontline yeah. workers, etc. When they told everybody else stay off, we were still at 50%, right? We, uh, we still had ridership that was, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50%, right? Because those folks had to go to work because right. they were providing for their families, but they were also helping New York, greater New York. Um, so I think we need to rethink it. There's a, a, a Leon Daniels. I don't know if you've ever oh, talked to Leon. Oh, I know Leon. He's my buddy. He's yeah, so, uh, in London. So I have to give him the credit. He, I saw him speak a few years ago, and he said, you know, there's probably a question for us in this business. Some ask us to act like a business, and other times people ask us to act like a public service. He said, you can't have that dichotomy, right, and be asked to do one or another. And his fundamental point was transit's human right. And we need to think of it in that regard. And so, yes, it's as important as fire, police, and EMT. But taking a step back, when I worked for Deval Patrick in Massachusetts, when I was transportation secretary, we often said that other than education, transportation is the great economic equalizer for people. And if we believe that, if we believe it's a way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and get a hold of climate change, if we believe that you know, we're providing an essential service to frontline workers, then we need to treat it that way. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube. 
where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com. Let's dive into congestion charges. Yeah, sure. Speaking of Leon Daniels, Yes, right? yes, exactly. And, uh, and TFL. So I was just in London recently and went to the congestion zone. Yes. Took a picture of the side. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You've got the job that Andy Byford used to have. Right? Uh, yes, that's so right. Andy was over there. So what's the, what's the latest on congestion charging as it stands in October of 2020? Yeah, so we've gone through a very extensive public process. Uh, I think we've wrapped up public comments and hearing over the last few weeks. Um Look, I'm an unabashed fan of congestion pricing uh, for all the reasons we just described, yeah. reducing congestion in the city. Tell us what it is, because not everybody will know what it is. Tell us what it is. So congestion pricing is essentially a toll to come into a particular you know, section of a city. You mentioned London. Singapore's had it since the 1970s, a few other uh, places in Europe. The concept in New York is to basically charge someone who wants to come south of 60th Street, basically into the central business of Manhattan. That's right. And depending on the time of day, you know, you might be charged a higher fee or a lower fee. You know, depending on who you are, you might be entitled to an exemption. But by and large, the legislature, including the legislative leaders, have said, a lot of them have said, let's keep the exemptions to a minimum. Because the goal is to, among other things, reduce congestion, improve air quality, but also raise revenue for transit. So the dollars is another reason why I'm an unabashed fan the dollars from congestion pricing, which are expected to fund a $15 billion portion of our capital plan in the next five years. Not an insignificant amount of money, right? We're going to put it to our capital, not operating? That's right. So we're going to put it into, you know, like Second Avenue subway extension. Uh, There's an Interborough Express uh, that's being proposed right now we're looking at. You can do better bus service. We can invest more in, you know, new subway cars, for example. And frankly, the unsexy stuff that doesn't have a ribbon cutting attached to it, but new power, new signals, yeah, you know, station right. refreshes. ADA, you know, much of our system is not accessible on the subway yeah. side. We've made a commitment to bring it up to 95% accessible in the next 30 years, yeah. a long time. Yeah. But the congestion pricing dollars all funds that. And so if we don't, congestion pricing fails for some reason, then there's a lot of things that people want that'll be on the cutting floor. So what's the process now to get it done? So the legislature gave you authorization, right? That's right. That's now right. You've done hearings. We've done hearings based on federal highway. There'll have to be a um, uh, ultimately a federal highway or a USDOT sign off on our process and our findings. And then from there, there is a group uh, of citizens, individuals, a five-person board that will decide or recommend um, what the tolling scheme should be. And so that's still an open question. I think our environmental uh, impact statement had seven different options, uh, and they could choose to do something else, but we modeled seven options on what that might look like in terms of price and congestion and what those effects would be. Uh, But again, look, I mean, I'm telling New Yorkers, some of you may not like it, but we're ready. Transit is ready for you. So if you decide that it costs too much or you don't want to deal with the aggravation of congestion pricing, come home. Transit your home. We can we 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 can move you. We can move you efficiently, yeah, that's right. you safely. Won't have to ride your car. You yeah. won't have to ride your car. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, well, practically, how would it work? You got like um, tag readers, uh, and then if, so if you don't have like a little, um, you know, 
what do they call those things, the window? Yeah, yeah, so so it, like an easy pass, I think, easy is what pass. you're suggesting. So no, I think it will be it will be license plate driven, okay, and, right? right? So for folks who don't have an easy pass, for example. So uh, when I was secretary of Massachusetts, we actually converted to all electronic tolling in 2014, and that's what we did, is we went to easy pass or pay by plate. I think what you'll see in New York is um, is some combination of that, but the technology is you know pretty darn good today. Um, and, and by the way, you know, we already do this on the tunnels and, uh, and, and bridges coming into Manhattan from yeah. the other boroughs. You know, our bridge and tunnel folks have expertise. So it's not like MTA doesn't have expertise. Yeah. We have a lot of expertise in, 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 in toll collection today. And other cities are looking at this, too, across the country. Look, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I did lean over uh, to Jano at a meeting and say, you know, to quote President Biden, this is a big deal <laughs> when he said yeah. about Obamacare. I think it is a big deal because I think there are other cities that are looking at this closely, perhaps the one we're sitting in today here in Seattle, maybe Los Angeles, Chicago, my hometown of Boston, Washington, D.C., Atlanta. I mean, you, you, you know, it's doesn't, it doesn't take you long to look around the other cities and around the United States that have congestion problems right. and infrastructure problems, right? So if you can improve your congestion, improve your air quality, raise revenues to invest back in public transportation, it's a good thing. Yeah. So I'm going to take us to the 26,000 foot level. And sure. then I want to talk about your background. So public transit in general, yeah. uh, you know, we've, we've come through a two-year inflection point. Mm -hmm. When we come out of it, people are saying, just what we were talking about today at my book signing on conversations and equity inclusion, yeah. that public transit is, is really doing more now than just taking people from A to B. Yeah. It is, like you said, giving us the opportunity to provide more environmental stewardship, uh, providing equity inclusion. What are your thoughts on the general themes of where public transit is going coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's an inflection point. I think for us, we should be unabashed in saying, you know, we were a lifeline service for a lot of folks. Yes. And that we should be unabashed in saying, you know, if this isn't a public right, then it sure should be thought of as a public service and how we fund other public services. Um, I also think, too, I mean, you know, a lot of credit to the Congress and the president who invested an enormous amount of money into infrastructure, right, with the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, you know, thankfully, we're a large beneficiary of that because we are the largest system, uh, you know, in the country. We're making a hundred million dollar investment thanks to the USDOT in electric buses, for example. Um, but fundamentally, um, you know, as we talked about, to me, it's not just about moving people. In fact, uh, it's it's the environmental stewardship, as we discussed, and it's a way for equity to be available uh, to folks in certain cities. And that's not just cities either, right? I mean, public transportation. I mean, obviously, I have a bias, but was where I am, but. You know, I was secretary of Massachusetts. We had 15 other regional transit authorities that I was responsible for. And those were rural. Those were, you know, smaller urban yeah. communities. They were suburban communities. And so the needs are everywhere. They might be slightly different and the kind of services that you run. Um, but, you know, it's everywhere. And, it, you know, sadly, it's some kind of bit of a partisan issue these days. Uh, it, shouldn't it's, yeah, it shouldn't be, that's for sure. We don't check anyone's... Uh, a uh, voting record when they uh, when they swipe a turnstile in New York. So uh, and 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 nor you know I, I think the you know, legislative leaders and others should be investing in it in, in in such a way. Absolutely. So you're running the subway, the buses, and the paratransit. We've talked about that. Let's talk a little about the commuter railroads coming in. Sure. Right. Metro North, Long Island Railroad. How does all that? So blend together. Yeah, yeah. So Kathy Rinaldi is the president of both of the railroads right now, a colleague and a friend. Um, you know, we're about 200,000 uh, riders per day on each of the of the railroads. 
obviously many of her customers are my customers and the vice versa. Yeah, so you they know? come into the city from the suburbs and then they get on your service. That's right? exactly right. They're coming yeah. in from Connecticut. They're coming in from Long Island. They're getting off at Grand Central Station soon. Uh, Eastside Access will be able to have both uh, railroads in uh, Grand Central by the end of the year, oh, which will be cool. Good. I didn't know that. Uh, Penn Station, obviously, as well. And then, of course, you know, I mean, these are the, one of the, some of the largest subway stations as well. Right. So our customers are getting on and off each mode. Um, but it's like, you know, I, work from home, you know, is another question for yeah. all of us, right? Tell me about it. What's happening in New York right now? Is it a Tuesday through Thursday city? It is. I mean, it, it, it's... It's not dramatically so, but it's on Mondays and Fridays, you certainly see a 10 to 15% difference in ridership vis-a-vis Tuesday and Wednesdays. What you do see, however, is uh, proportionally speaking, ridership coming back at a swifter level for, I would say, recreational ridership. So nights and weekends, right? So with Broadway open up and again, I mean, the city now living there for six months, living in in Hell's Kitchen and just being a resident as well, you just feel the, the... you know, the pulse of the city, the heartbeat. Someone back. I mean, we, someone also told me once that they measure how busy New York is by how long the line is in front of the Wall Street Bull to get a, a picture. Happens to be two blocks from our office at, at, uh, at MTA. The line's pretty long right now. So okay. the tourists are coming back. You can feel the city may not have that Monday through Friday, you know, work uh, folks, but you certainly feel, you know, that it's, it's, it's still vibrant. That's wonderful. So let's talk about your background, sir. Sure. How did you end up here? And tell us about your background. I flew on uh, United Airlines from Newark. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, a bit fortuitous. You know, I'm a lawyer uh, by training. Uh, it's a little bit of a homecoming. I went to Gonzaga Law School, so oh, okay. out over in Spokane, uh, about 280 miles from here. Um, was a lawyer and practicing in New York uh, for three years. And, and, and honestly, I had a 9-11 moment. I was, I was in New York practicing at a big law firm uh, during 9-11. Um, you know, sort of six months later said, you know what? It's not what I want to do with my life. Um, so I quit my job, moved back to Massachusetts, actually volunteered in a political campaign, and uh, they put me in charge of transportation policy. So this okay. is 20 years ago. Right. And, you know, candidate lost. Uh, but I ended up meeting, as you do, you know, on campaigns, yes. lots of people, yes. and got very deep into transportation policy and got my first job um, as the labor attorney uh, and contracts attorney for NBCR, which was the entity that ran the commuter rail in Boston for about 12 years. It was a consortium of uh, Veolia, uh, now Transdev, Bombardier, and uh, Alternate Concepts. Worked my way up, became CEO of that company. um, And, you know, as usual, the MBTA had a a leadership crisis or something, and and, uh, Governor Patrick recruited me to to run the T. So I did that for him for 18 months, um, and then uh, became his transportation secretary as part of his cabinet for the last three years of his uh, second term. Okay. So, um, and frankly, I had a ball. I mean, I just absolutely, you know, I love the industry. I love what it does. I mean, when I get to tell folks, you, what do you do? I mean, I get to move people, right? I get to move, move, move New York. Um, right. And, you know, there's not much, I don't think, anything else better you can say when you say in your job, you help someone today. Turns out we help a lot of people every day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I did, you know, private consulting for five years, but Jano reached out this past um, February and said, you know, would you be interested? And uh, I said, yeah, I would. So it's awesome. Convinced my wife to uh, let me take one more of these uh, crazy journeys. <laughs> and uh, I'm blessed to have a very supportive, uh, very supportive spouse. So here we are. That's wonderful. Last question is, um, it's kind of an international question. So you kind of represent America as the head of our largest transit system. Do you connect up with the CEOs of other cities around the world, you know, like London and other places? Ah, it's a great question. And so the answer is yes. I mean, I've been fortunate to having worked, you know, for the private sector, 
um, and, 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 you know, as transportation secretary, went on a number of trade missions with the governor, uh, visited a number of systems, and then as a consultant, uh, you know, consulted for systems Boston, in Australia, right? Boston Consulting Group for yeah. five years and did work in Asia, Australia, and Europe. Uh, so the answer is yes. I'm able to, you know, sort of have a Rolodex for, uh, for all the older listeners of your podcast. They'll know what that is. For yeah. the younger ones, it's your Rolodex of your contacts. Yeah. Uh, but I have a Rolodex of, of folks. And what I found in the industry, I know you, I mean, you see this too, is a, there is a willingness to help each other, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone in the world has the market on all the best ideas or the best innovations, right? Um, and so being able to leverage that and ask folks questions. There's a group of the larger uh, system CEOs here in the U.S. Uh, that we, we are now sort of, you know, communicating from time to time, asking questions and thinking about um, how we can do things better. And so I think that kind of sharing of ideas, um, you know, New York is unique, but I think uh, we're also displaying a little humility to say, you know, while we might be the biggest, we don't necessarily the best all the time. How can we do it better? That's wonderful. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you mentioned it earlier. I want to end on this. How transit has really played a big role, not only in the peak of the pandemic, making sure that, you know, what I say, the wheels in the bus that go round and round, yes. but also the wheels that make our economy turn. Yes. Uh, but now coming out of the pandemic, we're really at the forefront, aren't we, of helping get all of society because we were in a lockdown. What's the opposite of lockdown? Mobility. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and I think what you see is people craving, you know, in this conference here, it's a couple thousand folks, right, who haven't been able to get together the last couple of years. There's so much value in being able to get together, which is, I think, how you see some you know, CEOs saying they want their workforce to come back to work a few days a week because yeah, that yeah. creative energy, it just isn't replicated in a, you know, a Zoom or a Teams call. It's hard That's to. Right. Um, but for New York, there's no doubt. I mean, we are leading New York's comeback again. To quote uh, my boss, Jan Lieber, you know, he's, he's said a few times, you know, writing our obituary once again is premature uh, because New York is coming back. And it's coming back in many respects because public transportation is moving the city. And so, you know, we're delighted to be part of that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing some of what's happening in the Big Apple. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, thanks for, uh, for doing this. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode our season six opener, our fifth anniversary, and our 225th episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guest, Rich Davey, president of New York City Transit, New York MTA. Next week, we continue our special kickoff to season six with part one of a two-part interview series with Jarrett Walker, talking with Paul about everything with the past, present, and future of public transit. And don't forget to subscribe to the Transit Unplugged newsletter at transitunplugged.com so you always know when these special episodes are happening and when the next episode of Transit Unplugged TV comes out. If you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.